0: What I want to do today as we uh, jump into week three is uh, we are going to be uh, in kind of the middle uh, section here. Uh, Of this first little part of Mark 1 and just to sort of get us in the context of where we are I want to read the first 13 verses and I'm reading uh, today from uh, it's a it's a translation called the New Testament for everyone It's uh, by a scholar named N.T. Wright and it just kind of brings a freshness uh, to this picture of Jesus uh, Early in his ministry and life. He says this this is where the good news starts The good news of Jesus the Messiah, God's Son. Isaiah the prophet put it like this. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of me. He will clear the way for you. A shout goes up in the desert. Make way for the Lord. Clear a straight path for him. John the baptizer appeared in the desert. He was announcing a baptism of repentance to forgive sins. The whole of Judea and everyone who lived in Jerusalem went out to him. They confessed their sins and were baptized by him in the, in the river Jordan. John wore camel hair clothes with a leather belt around his waist. He used to eat locusts and wild honey. Someone a lot stronger than me is coming close behind, John used to tell them. I don't deserve to squat down and undo his sandals. I've plunged you in the water. He is going to plunge you in the Holy Spirit. And this is our text for today. This is how it happened. Around that time, Jesus from Nazareth, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the river Jordan. That very moment, as he was getting out of the water, he saw the heavens open up and the Spirit coming down like a dove onto him. Then there came a voice out of the heavens, "'You are my Son.'" You are the one I love. You make me very glad. All at once, the Spirit pushed him out into the desert. He was in the desert 40 days, and the, and the Satan tested him there. He was with the wild beast, and the angels waited on him. You see, there's two... Th- uh, events that unfold from our text today. One is the baptism of Jesus, and the other one is the temptation of Jesus. Mark uh, 1 9 through 13 is defining in our faith. And we could spend, honestly, we could spend about three or four weeks just on these handful of verses. Uh, And what I would love to invite you to do is uh, buy my lunch this week, and we could sit down and I could try to help unpack all of that for you uh, over a nice, you know, barbecue or steak lunch. Whatever you prefer uh, this week is totally fine with me. Um, But this is defining for our lives as we follow Jesus. You see, this is the passage that sets so much in motion, not only for the earthly ministry of Jesus, but how we are enabled to live in a relationship with Jesus today. And, and what's tempting is to just sort of gloss over this. We know the story. Oh, we know the story. We sing the songs, you know, about being in the desert and being in the wilderness and, and the parallels to that of Jesus. I mean, we, we've, we got this. We're good. But if we, might, if we miss this, we might continue to think that living for Jesus is up to us. We, we might continue in our relationship with Jesus to just try and work harder, and as a result, continue in this cycle where we fail and we live in this cycle of bondage and never step into the freedom that Jesus affords our lives. You see, it's important as we look at this text today to remember that all through the gospel of Mark, Mark is going to present Jesus as a suffering servant. And that's why we titled this series Unexpected Jesus, because uh, first century Jews that were waiting on the Messiah were not waiting for a suffering servant. They were longing for a conquering king. And we know that Jesus conquered sin and death, but he came as a suffering servant. And there are moments that we will see all through the Gospel of Mark that highlight this reality in Jesus' life. That make Jesus so unexpected. And today is a, te- today's text is a very clear picture of this. And so I had in your note sheet there, if you're taking notes, I had sort of a, a, a ninth hour epiphany this morning and made a slight change to your notes after they were already printed. So wherever it says your in your note sheet, you're going to actually scratch that out and put the word my. So the first blank that you can write is this. First blank you can fill in is this: is Jesus identifies with my sinfulness. Jesus identifies with my sinfulness. I want to read this text, uh, Mark one verse nine. It says this: This is how it happened. Around that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Now you see, it was Jewish custom. It was, it was this ceremonial, ritualistic cleansing that would take place. And, and to, to get a broader picture of what would happen uh, uh, with the baptism of Jesus, you can go read in Matthew 3, 13-17. Matthew's Gospel gives a little bit fuller picture of the baptism of Jesus. And, and, and in Matthew's gospel, he writes it this way, that, that Jesus said, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. This was a, a Jewish ritual. And so it, it helps when we look at this and we say, okay, well, Jesus identifies with my sinfulness. What does that mean? It's helpful to define, to put some kind of definition around, okay, well, what is sinfulness? Sinfulness. The reality is sinfulness is this. It is anything that we do that would separate our lives from a perfect God. That is sinfulness. Now, we don't love to talk about sin in church at all. It's kind of turned into a a word that gets banished in a lot of churches. But the reality is this. Our sin is the reason why Jesus had to come to this earth. To make things right from what was broken between God and man. And so anything that we do that breaks God's commands is sin. The reality is this, is no matter what our background is, no matter what we were born into social status or lacking of, no matter what our bank accounts currently say, we have all been born with a sin nature we are all guilty of sinning against God in our own lives, even if you think, "Oh man, but my sins, they just, they're, they're minuscule. They, they would never show up, really. Nobody would ever know. The reality is is we were born into this world with a sin nature. And here, something remarkable takes place in the life of Jesus. Jesus, sent from heaven, perfect, steps out of perfect heaven and into a broken, fallen world, and he gets baptized. You see, sinless people don't identify with sin, and yet this is Jesus giving us a picture in the early part of Mark 1 of exactly what he was going to do on the cross exactly what he would do for all of humanity once and for all that he would take on sin and that his sacrifice on the cross would be what washes all of humanity's sin makes it possible to wash all of humanity's sin away and this is a picture of jesus identifying with your sinfulness and my sinfulness identifying with the sinfulness of every tax collector that he was about to meet of every fisherman that he was about to call, of every woman that he would meet at the well and call her to a new life. This is a picture of Jesus identifying with that sinfulness. Peter. In his epistle, First Peter, which again the backstory here is most scholars believe that Peter was the one who was giving Mark what to write. Now it could have been a they were in a room together and Peter saying, Hey, here's what you need to do, you can write this, and this was the account of Jesus here, and whatever, or it could have just been that because John Mark traveled with Peter so much, he just knew how Peter would tell the story. We don't really know. But in First Peter two, twenty-one through twenty-five Peter expounds on this a little bit. Listen to this. This, after all, is what came from the terms of your call because of the Messiah, too, suffered on your behalf, leaving behind a pattern for you so that you should follow the way that he walked. He committed no sin, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. When he was insulted, he didn't insult in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he gave himself up to the one who judges justfully. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might be free from sins and live for righteousness. It is by his wound that you are healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your true lives." Now, if some of this for you is you're going, wait a minute, how could Jesus identify with our sin uh, if he was sinless and perfect? How, how does this work? I want to illustrate it this way. This is my, my work backpack, and I love this backpack. This backpack's been a lot of places with our family, um, but, but this is a picture of how Jesus identifies with our sin, how he bore our sin. This is what Jesus did. He is perfect, He is sinless, and yet He takes our sin on. This is the picture that Peter is trying to give us in 1 Peter, that He bore our sin. He took that nature on Himself. Still perfect, still sinless, but He took that nature on He carried that nature with him. And here in Mark chapter 1 is this picture. It is the picture of Jesus' baptism, and as a result, this is Jesus identifying with our sinfulness. Jesus willingly did this for all of humanity. Jesus willingly did this for you. He bore this. He took this on so that he could identify in this way to the world. I love the quote from Tim Keller. He says this about our sinful nature and the gospel. He says this We are far worse than we ever imagined, and far more loved than we could ever dream. We are far worse than we ever imagined. And we are far more loved than we could ever dream. And this is the picture of baptism in the modern church today in, in, in 2019. This is, this is part of the reason why we baptize people. is because it is a picture, it is a, a living picture of how Jesus Christ was his death, his burial, and his resurrection. A lot of times we say that, you know, I baptize you, my brother, or I baptize you, my sister, in the name of Jesus. Baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, depending upon your background. Um, Buried with Christ in baptism. And then what is it? Raised to walk in newness of life. This was Jesus giving a picture of His death. This was Jesus giving a picture of He was going to take on all of our wrongdoing. To be the suffering servant that we so desperately need. And so right here, I want to encourage you, if you've never taken the step to identify with Jesus in baptism, I want to encourage you to take that step. It may be a step of faith for you because you're an adult and you say, hey, you know, I, I, I've never done this before. I've never been baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. We don't believe that as a church. I, I would never teach that. Baptism doesn't save you. It's not Jesus plus anything, but we identify with the gospel when we do that. And we tell the world around us, this is the new life that I have. Not because of my good works, not because of my doing, not because of my try-hard nature. This is because of the free gift of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's really important to understand this. Jesus was not baptized because he needed cleansing from any sin. He was sinless, as John himself even understood in Matthew three fourteen. Instead, Jesus was baptized in keeping with his entire mission on earth. To do the will of the Father and to identify with sinful man. But Jesus just does, it doesn't just identify with your sinfulness. Jesus also identifies with my temptation. Now, you may be here today and you may think to yourself, you know, I'm not a bad person I don't sin much, and my sins don't really show up on the lie detector. But we are all tempted. Every single one of us. And I love the way that, that, that Mark records the temptation of Jesus, is because Mark just gives us exactly what we need to know. He doesn't embellish, he doesn't give us any details around it. He just says, This is what happened. It's kind of like coming in, you know, talking to your spouse and saying, Hey, how was your day? It was fine. No, no, really, how was your day? It's fine. It's good. Did you have lunch today? Yeah. But, but we need to learn from Mark in this. Every time we look at Mark and we say, well, well Matthew said more about this, Mark, or Luke said more about this, Mark. Why, why didn't you say? It's because Mark has a purpose for writing this. And so we see this in verse 12 and 13. He says this, All at once the Spirit pushed him out into the desert. Uh, Another word uh, that that some translators will use here is the idea of impelled. He had to do this. He had to go out into the desert. All at once the Spirit pushed him out into the desert. He was in the desert 40 days, and the Satan tested him there. He was with the wild beast, and the angels waited on him. Now, right here, we have three pictures that Mark gives us that are really, really important. Three keys that as we think about this moment in all of Scripture, in the storyline of Jesus, in the Gospel, and what this means for us, there are three pictures that Mark gives us here. The first one is this, is the idea of 40. 40 is, is a narrative that runs through a lot of scripture that we see. It was the number that Jesus was in the de- the number of days that Jesus was in the wilderness. It is often the number that shows testing or judgment. Think about Noah's flood. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses kept sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. This is, in one way, this is Jesus bringing the storyline of the Bible together in this moment, certainly a Jewish storyline, together in this, bi- in this moment in Mark 1. By going into the wilderness. The second picture, though, that he gives us is this idea of the first Adam is the first Adam. What do you mean by that? Well, in Genesis, we see that God created man and woman. He created Adam and He created Eve. And and Adam was tested, don't miss this, Adam was tested in a beautiful garden where everything was right and yet failed dramatically. And then Jesus was tempted in the dangerous wilderness where everything was wrong. And he won the victory. That's the second picture. The third picture is this is that, and I've alluded to this a little bit already, is that Jesus is, is in a way acting out the great drama of Israel's exodus into the wilderness. And since the name Jesus is the Greek form of the word Joshua, and Joshua was the one who ultimately led the children of Israel into the promised land. It's easy to see this in Scripture. That here we have this idea of being tested for 40 days, this biblical narrative that runs all the way through the idea of testing and judgment and redemption. We have this picture of the first Adam and, and, and Adam failing, and yet Jesus winning and succeeding and then we have this great narrative storyline promise that goes all the way back to genesis 12 with abraham of jesus bringing all of this together and embodying all of this but jesus is doing something more than just giving us these three pictures He's giving us a picture. He's giving us a a foretaste, a a foreshadowing of what the writer of Hebrews would write about. That Jesus Jesus is being tempted not because he is weak and not because the tempter is strong, but Jesus is being tempted so that he can ultimately be the interceder on our behalf. Hebrews 2 says it this way, Starting in verse 14, "...since the children share in blood and flesh, he too shared in them." Now again, Hebrews is full of Jewish uh, old temple uh, sort of dialect and understanding. So some of this that you're like, whoa, man, blood and whatever. I'm checking out right now. Just hang with it for just a minute. Just hang with it. "...since the children share in blood and flesh, he too shared in them." In the same way, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death—that is, the devil—and set free the people who call, uh, who all um, the people who all their lives long were under the power of slavery because of the fear of death. It's obvious, you see, that he isn't taking special thought for angels. He's taking special thought for Abraham's family. That's all of us. Every one of us. That's why he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. So that he might become a merciful and trustworthy high priest in God's presence. To make atone, atonement for the sins of his people. He himself has suffered, you see, though being, through being put to the test. And that's why he is able to help those who are being tested right now jesus identifies with you in your temptation because jesus was tempted in every way hebrews 4 15 says this very famous passage says this for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin yet without sin. He has now become our interceder on our behalf. He is interceding on our behalf with the Father. It is as if He is standing and, and, and interceding with God on our behalf for the things that we do wrong, for the shortcomings, for the failures. Now some of you are like, man, I don't, I don't get this. This is You know, help me understand. Break this down. Well, a lot of us understand the idea of interceding because it's happened a lot in our city the last couple of weeks. How many of you guys have heard about the drama with James Wiseman? Anybody? Few people. If you don't know who James Wiseman is, James Wiseman is the number one recruit in all of America that signed on with Penny Hardaway, uh, helped to take the recruiting class for this school year for the University of Memphis to the number one recruiting class in the nation. Back in May, the NCAA said, hey, you're eligible to play. You're cleared. And then just a few days ago, the NCAA, right before a game, declared that he was ineligible. And what began to happen? Oh, everybody that had a social media page in Memphis began interceding for James Wiseman. No, 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 you don't understand. This isn't fair. He's done nothing wrong. Standing in the place, vocalizing, their are their, their, their pleading on James Wiseman's behalf. You've probably done it as well, even in conversations if you didn't take to social media. His attorneys have been interceding on behalf of James Wiseman. The the, uh, uh, University of Memphis has been interceding on behalf of James Wiseman, pleading his case. And here's what I want to say to you this morning all the more is Jesus. All the more is Jesus interceding on your behalf. You cannot comprehend how much Jesus is interceding on your behalf right now. So what's the area that you're most tempted in? Maybe for some of us our temptation is is innocent. We're we're we're, we're tempted by, you know, maybe just binge watching it, binge watching. It's just simple. It's binge watching the the newest Netflix series that we've gotten hooked in on or now. Disney Plus, may I add, that we've gotten hooked in on. But for many of us, our temptations certainly have more at stake, don't they? Our temptations involve things that our eyes are prone to look towards. Our temptations involve what we what long to reach for at the end of a very, very stressful day to bring some type of relief from the stress that we feel at work or with our family. For some of us, our longings, our our temptations are just a longing for more. It's more money, more house, more stuff on this earth. For some of us, as Jesus is going to meet, not in the book of Mark, but certainly in the Gospel of John, the woman at the well, and how her whole life had been a temptation to fill a void that only God could fill by one relationship after another. Are you tempted in your life to relive your worst moments over and over and over and over again? That the regret from those, that one decision that you made, the regret from that one night, that regret from that one weird trip where everything just got funky on you, You are tempted to be paralyzed in that. And what I want to say to you this morning is this, is that Jesus identifies with your temptation. He was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. All the more is Jesus. But we jumped over an important section On purpose, in this story in the Gospel of Mark, I want to take you back just a couple of verses and end with this thought this morning. Verse 10 says this That very moment when Jesus was baptized, as he was getting out of the water, he saw the heavens open up. And the Spirit coming down like a dove onto him. Then there came a voice. And that voice came out of the heavens. And what did that voice say? You are my son. You are the one I love. You make me very glad. And here's the the power of this moment in Scripture. Is that because Jesus is identified in your sinfulness, He is identified with your temptation. Because of Jesus. Not because of your works. Not because of the the goodness and and, and the try-hardness that you bring to the equation. But because of Jesus. Your Heavenly Father says... That He is pleased with you. And that you are loved. Your heavenly Father says that He is pleased with you and you are loved. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your failings and your fallings into temptation. Why? Because Jesus stands on your behalf. And as a result, our Heavenly Father says that He is pleased with you, and you are loved. And you see, this is hard for some of us to wrap our minds around. It's hard for us to understand because of the relationship that we had with our earthly father. And so what we do is we project the dysfunction that maybe happened between our earthly father onto our heavenly father and say, hey, if this is how the relationship works with the dad, I don't want anything to do with it. Or maybe some of you, you still live in brokenness because you tried so hard. You worked and you worked and you you put in extra time on the field you went to tutoring in the morning you you worked hard in school and and you tried as best as you could to fill up your resume and get the best job that you could and you got out of school and you were just longing for approval from your dad and it never came so you went back and you said, okay, I'm going to back up and I'm going to try harder and I'm going to work harder and I'm going to marry the right person and we're going to have the right amount of kids and we're going to live in just the right neighborhood and it's going to look perfect and the grass is going to be perfectly manicured and I'm going to drive the right car and everything in my life is going to be perfect. Why? Because I want the approval of my dad and he never gave it to you. And here's what I want to say to you today you might have had a dysfunctional relationship or still have a dysfunctional relationship with your earthly father but because of jesus your heavenly father looks at you and says hey man the the job doesn't matter to me the career doesn't matter the grades while some of that yes it's important any teenagers and kids in the room don't take this as a pass to not study It, it is important It ultimately doesn't matter. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You don't have to win my approval. You don't have to earn my love. It was freely given because of the obedience of Jesus on the cross. And I want to beg you to embrace this. no No matter how dysfunctional your relationship might have been with your father or your parents or your grandfather or maybe an uncle or or whatever it was in your life maybe you are struggling with a relationship with your heavenly father because you're a dad and your relationship with your children is so dysfunctional and what i want to say to you i want to beg you this morning to embrace this because this is the message of hope This is the message of life. This is the message that sets us free to be in a loving relationship, not only with our Heavenly Father, but to be in a loving relationship with any person that we encounter on earth. Is when we understand that because of Jesus, your Heavenly Father says He is pleased with you and that you are loved. Not because of what you have done, not because of what you will do, not because you're going to be perfect from this moment on, or not because you're going to walk out this door and fail at the same thing you've been failing every day for the last month or year. But it is because of Jesus. It is because of Jesus you are a loved child of God. because of Jesus, your heavenly Father, says He is pleased with you and that you are loved. N.T. Wright says it this way about this text. He says the whole Christian gospel could be summed up in this point. That when the living God looks at us, at every baptized, believing Christian, He says to us what He said to Jesus on that day. He sees us. Now isn't that just a powerful thought to think that the Heavenly Father, the God of all creation, the One who spun the universe off into being created, sees you at 10576 carrie road at 1026 on a sunday morning he sees you and he writes says he sees us not as we are in ourselves but as we are in christ jesus and so what do we what do we do with this text today well what's the response this morning it's a couple of things. One is this, is for some of you, you just need to make a decision to trust Christ. You just need to say, I, I'm, today I'm, I'm going to surrender my life, I'm going to follow Jesus, just like the, what we're going to see next week when Jesus begins to call His early disciples. And they have to make a decision to say, okay, I'm going to follow Him. Today may be the day that you need to make a decision to say, I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been trying to figure this out on my own. I've been trying to live this life on my own. It's absolutely getting me nowhere. I live in this cycle of approval. I live in this paralyzed state all the time. And maybe today your step is to trust Christ. For some of you, it may, it may be that you need, to, you need to take the step of obedience to be, to identify with Christ in baptism. When we go to take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, I'm going to stand right down here. I'm not going to move. I won't, I won't, I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper at first this morning. And what I would love for you to do is if that is you, if you say, hey, I need to take a step to be baptized, I would love for you to come talk to me just right down front as everybody's kind of moving around. Nobody's going to be looking at you, watching you, anything like that. Come down and say, hey, I, I, I need to take that. I don't understand all this. doesn't make total sense to me. That's okay. We're going to see over and over and over and over and over again that the people that were following Jesus didn't understand all of it. But there's that prompting of obedience. And the third, the third thing that you may need to do is this today, is you may say, hey, I've been following Jesus a long time. I I have been. I've been following Jesus my whole life. There's never a time I remember not following Jesus. My mom drugged me to to Sunday school and church every Sunday morning as early as I could remember. And short of it being hunting season or a kid's ball game or us going to grandma's house, I'm in church every week. Maybe today what you need to do while we make a transition here in just a second to take the Lord's Supper and and, and the worship team comes and leads us in a song that's very appropriate for today's response. Maybe what you need to do is, is that idea, that picture of also of what baptism does, that it is a washing over. And you just today just need to be reminded. You just need to ask the Lord, Lord, just remind me of your goodness today. I don't want to forget your goodness in my life. I don't want to forget the implications of the gospel in my life. I don't want to forget the sacrifice of Jesus in my life. I don't want this to just be head knowledge, God. I want this to come and invade my heart and to change my life, change my decisions. And Lord, it's been a while. So we're going to pray and then... The worship team's going to come and lead us and we're going to use this time to just go and to take the Lord's Supper. If you want to come talk about baptism or even trusting in Jesus, this is the time to do that.